lives. Even today, she lives in Washington, D.C. She works, she is a naturalized United States citizen. She works for the embassy of Ghana. In 1997, um, she got a phone call at 4 a.m. in the morning. Because her family roots, her heritage, she was born in Ghana. She still had family in Ghana. In fact, her uncle was the king of a fishing village in Ghana, about 7,000 people. And she, had, um, she would go back and visit on occasion. She'd see her family. She'd see her uncle. She would support financially the village the best she could. Well, in 1997, her uncle passed away. She did not know it. But she gets a call one morning and says, um, Peggy, the, the village has gone through the ritual of selecting the next king. Your uncle has passed away. And three times the ritual was performed, and three times you were selected to be the king. Now, she lived in Washington, D.C., and she was really considered an outsider, but she was picked to be King Peggy. And in the years since, she has lived as the king of this fishing village. They call her Nana, King Nana, King Peggy. And uh, she still lives in Washington, and she travels back to the village as often as she can. And when she retires in a few years, she will locate there. But, but her comment in, I was the most unlikely candidate to be king that you could imagine. And looks nothing like what you'd expect a king to look. It's a, it's a, it's a I don't want to say impoverished, but it's, she's not living in a palace. She's not sitting on a throne. She doesn't have servants at her feet. She really is... is given the responsibility of the leadership of this village, King Peggy, but, but nothing about her, by her own words, would have screamed, this is somebody that would be given this, this um, title of royalty, if you will. And so it's, it's a fascinating story. It's a kind of a, a contrast to expectations. And that's, when I read that, I thought that's in a very different way, but that's kind of what we get when we read the Gospels, and we sing songs declaring Christ as king, or we affirm that through statements of faith, that that the kingship of Jesus looks different than we would expect it to. Because when we get introduced to this in this text, we don't have Jesus sitting on a throne surrounded by crowds of people that are adoring and worshiping him. That's the image we have when we think of a king. But actually, we have a king who's on a cross, with crowds that don't adore but mock him. And so if that is king, then king by its very nature has to look different than our expectations. Jesus on the cross as a common criminal, dying the most painful death that the Romans could imagine, it is the one that we declare as king. So what does that mean for us? Well, let's, let's go to our text. Let's go to, I'm going to just read it from the screen this morning. But from Luke chapter 23, verse 33, we're now in to the actual crucifixion of Jesus. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a written notice above him, which read, 
This is the King of the Jews. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless our hearing of your word and bless these words that I speak, that according they be faithful to your will and your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that I remember standing out to me a few years ago when I had the chance to, to visit China, and I've talked about that a few times over the years, but one of the things I didn't expect was that many of the signs that I saw when we were traveling, many of the signs that were directional signs or storefront signs or instructional signs were, of course, written in, a, in, the, in the, the dialect of the Mandarin, which is the, the common language of mainland China. And so you'd have those, not that I could identify Mandarin, but you had what you kind of identify as, as the, the Chinese alphabet. But what surprised me was most often under those would be instructions written in English, would be words that would be written in English. I did not expect that in China. I've seen it in other countries. I didn't expect it in communist China. But as I thought more about it and was reflecting upon it, it makes sense. It makes sense anywhere that you have a diversity of, of languages spoken that you would try to communicate in the dominant languages of the day or of the people that are coming. China knows that a lot of the visitors that come to China are English-speaking. So it makes sense to have signs in English, as it does in a lot of places that we visit. And, and that's just, if you're trying to communicate with people, and you know that, that there may be a couple common languages spoken among a group you're trying to communicate with, you need to be able to try to communicate in those languages so that they can receive the message. In our case, it was so that we would know where we were going, or we would see the signs advertising the store or the product they wanted us to buy. Well, in a different way, but with the same intention, we, we come to this, this scripture of Jesus on the cross, and we come to this declaration. There's a declaration that's made in verse 39. It's a sign that Pilate puts over Jesus as he's on the cross. And that sign, as we read, says, this is the king of the Jews. But there's an interesting scriptural footnote. If you had your Bibles open, or if you have your Bibles open, uh, it might have a, a, a little um, uh, footnote there next to this is the king of the Jews that, that makes a note at the bottom. Or if you have a different translation, it may be included right in the text. But the footnote is that other older manuscripts or some additional manuscripts have this comment. They say that the sign was written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. The sign was written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. So in some of the translations, it's read that there was an inscription over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew that said, this is the king of the Jews. And that's an interesting note. It's an interesting thought to say, why would Pilate have this sign placed over Jesus in three languages? Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. It was not so the common people could read it. Because the reality is the common people probably couldn't have read, read anyway. They were largely illiterate. And the message a crucifixion was meant to, to um, communicate to people, the, the common people, if you will, was don't mess with us. That's, that's what a, a crucifixion, the Romans did crucifixion, and I've talked about this before, and you've probably heard others talk about it before. Crucifixion was a painful and an extended way to die. And it was a public execution so that anybody that were, was coming into Jerusalem 
would see the crucifixion and would know, don't break the laws. This was the death of a common criminal. This was the death of a, of a political criminal, I should say. And so the, 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 the message was the crucifixion itself. Take us seriously, because we're not playing. But, but Pilate creates this sign, and, and he puts it in these three languages, and, and there's a lot of scholarship and biblical debate over exactly why Pilate put the sign there to begin with. Because he wasn't making a declaration of faith. And we're pretty clear, Pilate wasn't declaring something about the, the lordship of Jesus. So there was another purpose. Maybe, some say it was because it was, it was really, it could have been, I should say, uh, a statement of the charges. This is the king of the Jews. This is somebody's claiming to be a king, and that gets you in trouble. Uh, because it puts you in opposition to, to the, uh, the Roman authorities. It could be that he was mocking the Jews themselves. This is your king. Remember, if, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, they kind of say, please take, they, they get mad at Pilate for doing that. They think it's, it's blasphemous, and they're not happy, and Pilate really doesn't care. Or the other thing is he's mocking Jesus. He's mocking Jesus. We don't really know exactly what his intention was. But, but for our time, for these moments together, my focus isn't so much what Pilate meant but what we hear when we read the words, this is the king of the Jews. What, what do we hear? He put it in three languages because he clearly wanted those who were there to be able to read the message. For whatever reason, he wanted the Romans to be able to read it in Latin. He wanted the Jews to be able to read it in Hebrew. He, he wanted other learned people to be able to read it in Greek. He wanted to make sure everybody got the message this is the king of the Jews. When we read it in our language, when we talk about it, what does it mean to us? Because the reality is, in, in, in both serious and lighthearted ways, there, there's two truths of communication. There's what one person means to say, and there's what somebody hears when they say it. And those aren't always the same thing. They're not often the same thing. I, I thought about this. I saw a sign, a picture of a sign that said this, it said, speed bumps present when children are playing. <laughs> Spend a moment with it. Think about it. How do you hear that? Speed bumps present. There's a very dark way to hear those words and probably a more intended way. There are, there are um, sites out there that will tell you how to give letters of recommendation for somebody that you don't really want to recommend but you don't want to say anything um, mean about them. Letters are, so there's things that they'll teach you how to say things. like Sentences like, um, you would be lucky to get this person to work for you. Yeah. Right? Okay, so what's that mean? What's, the, what's, the, what's the, the person who wrote it mean? How does the person receive it? Or I'm thrilled to say or, or fortunate to call this person a former colleague of mine. Right? So, so things that are spoken and, and the way that we hear that. Now, here's the thing. This happens all the time. It, it happened right before this worship service. And I didn't plan it. It happened right before. We were in that room right there, the praise band and I. And I knew I was having problems with the mic, so I moved it to the back. I thought maybe that'll kind of loosen whatever wire. And so I hooked it back here. Now, here's the problem. I can't see the mic when it's hooked behind me. So I didn't know 
the, the, you know, whether the, the power was on. So I turned to Tony in front of everybody and I said, Tony, would you turn me on? That's exactly what they all did. Shame on all of you. So, what's said, what's heard. Now, we know what Pilate said, what Pilate had posted. This is the king of the Jews. What's it mean for us? What's it mean for you? What's it mean for me to say that this is our king? Because it is not meant to simply be a statement of faith. It's not meant to just be a a proposition. Because a proposition is a verbal affirmation. But it has to go deeper. In fact, Jesus doesn't, or God doesn't send us a proposition. He sends us a person. Jesus doesn't send us a ritual. He sends us a redeemer. Doesn't send us a statement of faith. He sends us a savior. He sends us somebody to live into a relationship with the one who is king. I don't know what Pilate meant, but I will tell you those words above Jesus couldn't have been more true. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king. What's that mean for us? How do we live into that? You know, in the aftermath of of the Gettys, the Battle of Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln delivers that, that speech, that famous speech, four score and, and seven years ago, our fathers brought unto this land a new nation conceived in liberty and de- dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, right? That was the proposition dedicated to. They weren't living into it very well, our ancestors, not to throw stones. And, and the challenge was, how do we embody that? Well, well so the same is true for us. In our faith, as we talk about the kingship of Jesus, as we talk about what that means, is is it's not meant to just be something we affirm, but is it something that we embody? Because Jesus invites us into a relationship. And and in John chapter 3, when Jesus talks about um, the truth, you know, talks about um, the truth, he says that that we're called to do the truth. It's an interesting phrase to do, not, not to believe the truth, but to do it. Our faith is a way of being and a way of doing. Do we live into that affirmation? The words that we sing, the songs that we, we proclaim, or the faith that we proclaim here, do we embody it with our faith? This is the King of the Jews. On that cross, Jesus was mocked, and he was laughed at, and he was humiliated. And yet, the words that he speaks of words of grace and forgiveness. On that cross, he was cruelly crucified, yet the scriptures tell us that he freely laid down his life. Jesus gives us a picture, as he does through his entire life, what doing looks like, what grace and love and and compassion look like. When we say this is the king of the Jews. If that statement is true, if we profess that statement is true, does our doing give evidence to our speaking? Does our being give evidence to our proclamation? That's the question for us to ask ourselves as we prepare our hearts to begin to turn to the story of the coming of the king, right? The coming of the savior. What's What's that mean for us? I don't know what Pilate meant. Quite honestly, I don't particularly care. 
but I know what that statement means for me. I know what it means to say, Jesus is king. What's it mean for you? What's it mean for you? And if that is a statement of faith, if it is a declaration of what you believe to be the cosmic truth of who God is, then how does your life give testimony to it? As Christians, as Christians, we point to the one who is truth, and we are meant to embody that truth with the way that we live. I pray this is the king of the Jews that our lives would demonstrate that we believe that there is no truer statement that's ever been written or spoken. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, that, that that declaration would be evidenced by our lives and our faith and the compassion that we live into, that it would reflect Jesus. Lord, we declare you are king. Now let our lives give evidence to the truth of that in in the way that we live and the way that we love. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Jesus didn't gather.